hello and welcome to Diving Into Diabetes, the podcast where we explore the latest advances and the best practices on individualized diabetes care. I'm your host, Dr. Ron Goldenberg, and with me today on the program is Dr. Ali Prebtani, and a special uh, welcome to Dr. Uh, Prebtani. Uh, today we'll be discussing diabetes and Ramadan clinical evidence for type 2 diabetes. Dr. Prabhtani is an internist and endocrinologist working as a professor of medicine with the Division of Endocrinology and Metabolism at McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. And he's quite passionate about international health. Okay, so let's get into the issues around managing type 2 diabetes during Ramadan. Uh, obviously, this is an important topic given, number one, the epidemic of type 2 diabetes and the fact that the majority of Muslims fast for the month of Ramadan on a daily basis from dawn to dusk. And obviously, there could be potential concern about such fasting if uh, patients being treated for type 2 diabetes. So, Dr. Uh, Prabhtani, let's maybe talk about an internationally known guideline or consensus position statement on diabetes and Ramadan that was published by Diabetes Canada in uh, 2018. And maybe we can start on the introduction in the document, which is pre-Ramadan diabetes management and how you can kind of risk stratify your patients before Ramadan about their uh, risk from fasting. Thanks, uh, Dr. Goldberg. I, I think you're referring to the IDF slash DIR, TAR and the Diabetes Canada guidelines uh, statements based on those uh, just to make sure that's clear. So like anything in life, we want to be proactive rather than reactive. And I think it's important to engage our patients with uh, who are Muslim and who have either type 1 or diabetes. I know the type 2 diabetes, uh, understanding the focus today is type 2, to make sure they're aware of uh, if they get into trouble, what to do and to prevent trouble. So just to start off with, there's about a million Muslims in Canada, and all of them don't uh, fast uh, because of the age and so on, but it's a fair number, right? So I think it, this, is a, this is an important issue. So we do recommend, uh, based on uh, opinion and the evidence that we have, to make sure we plan in advance, at least one to three months in advance. And what do we tell our patients? We First and foremost, we tell them when to break the fast, because I think that has to be set at the start, especially if they have hypoglycemia, they have ketones in their type 1, they have extreme hyperglycemia, if there's any sense of dehydration, and especially if they have run into any acute complications related to their cardiac status, heart failure, orthostasis, uh, MI, and et cetera. So these are really, really important important things to uh, mention early on. Another thing is, is uh, like anything medicine, we really want to personalize care rather than having a guideline. We, I know we have guidelines, but we have to personalize it to that patient sitting in front of us. And then the key things to key, take into account when we're personalizing the approach to uh, diabetes and Ramadan and management is to look at what type of diabetes do they have? What are the complications that they've had? And one thing really important is how did they manage before and what troubles did they really run into before and how did they deal with it before? Number two, what kind of regimen are they on? Are they on insulin? Are they not on insulin? If they're not on insulin, is it what kind of therapy are they on? Are they on DPP-4s, et cetera? And some of the important patient factors outside of complications are what kind of control have they had and do they have any other risk factors? And the fourth thing, which I'm going to speak about briefly if Dr. Goldenberg asked me, is about uh, conception and pregnancy and uh, diabetes and Ramadan. Okay, great. So that's a fantastic introduction to the topic. And I guess the one of the key messages for our listeners there is that you have to be proactive before Ramadan to recognize uh, who might be at risk for problems. So let's dive into that a, a little bit more. 
Uh, I like to divide the discussion into uh, the therapies that patients are on. And so let's start with non-insulin uh, pharmacotherapies. Obviously, there might be a concern if you're on drugs that cause hypoglycemia compared to those that don't, uh, but there could be other uh, issues as well. So let's start with metformin or DPP-4 inhibitors. Uh, should we have any concern about uh, those yeah. agents during Ramadan? Yeah, those are pretty easy for the most part. They have a well-established uh, safety record, as we know, and metformin, for the most part, and uh, I'm focusing on, uh, we're focusing on type 2, is probably pretty safe if they're on just metformin to carry on with the metformin. Unless they have having significant GI issues, uh, you know, we usually don't recommend altering uh, metformin significantly. If they run into problems with their GFR, obviously we're going to cut back the dose of metformin and investigate that further. For, but for the most part, I think metformin and uh, DPP inhibitors is usually not that big an issue. Pretty easy based on the guidelines and just common sense. Okay, great to know, especially since metformin is still probably the backbone of pharmacotherapy for most patients. So what about sulfonylureas? Because obviously this is the oral class that can cause hypoglycemia. Are there yeah. any practical tips about what we can do with the sulfonylurea yeah. class related to Ramadan? So this is where proactive uh, pre-planning really comes into play. And ideally speaking, in an ideal world where you have frequent follow-up and contact with your patients, we should probably try to avoid glyburide. And I just want to state that that uh, probably Glabride for the most part, unless you're in a low-income country where finances are a real issue with that work that I do globally, but we should probably try to avoid Glabride. If you're on a glucoside or glimepiride, the recommendation or common sense of time is available is try to switch them over if you have time. But if you're seeing them just around the time of Ramadan, they're already on it, they need to monitor more frequently and see what their past experience was and maybe avoid excessive risk of hypoglycemia and maybe cut back the dose by 50% and monitor. Remember, one or two days of high blood sugars is not going to make a huge impact. But ideally speaking, not beyond glyburide. Number two, change it to uh, either glucoside or glimepiride. Number three, cut back the dose in half. And that'll be the usual approach to uh, sulfonylureas. If it's possible, do not use them at all, if that's possible. Great. And I mean, uh, health sulfonylureas have kind of fallen down in the algorithm across international guidelines. So, you know, maybe it's an opportunity to reconsider prior to Ramadan any use of sulfonylurea. So GLP-1 receptor agonists are uh, being used commonly now because of their cardiovascular benefits and also their benefits on weight loss and A1C. Um, so how would the use of GLP-1 receptor agonists fit into Ramadan? Yeah, I think it's probably similar to uh, metformin and DPP-4s. Unless they're having a lot of GI issues, they can probably carry on. Again, understanding that the, the risk of hypoglycemia is quite low and they're quite efficacious. And in particular, especially if you have a cardiovascular indication, it even is more important to carry on with these therapies, whether it's atherosclerotic heart disease and perhaps heart failure, I would probably suggest that they carry on with the GLP-1 because the real main side effect is uh, the GI side effects. And often those happen early on and hopefully they'll be not long enough that they don't have to really uh, worry about that issue. That being said, I think we have to be practical with uh, some of these therapies that have GI side effects. Probably don't start them fresh de novo at the time of Ramadan, maybe wait because if they run into troubles, they'll probably get dehydrated and run into other problems during Ramadan if they're fasting. So carry on if they've had no issues, if there's no hypoglycemia, but I probably wouldn't initiate it at the time of Ramadan. I would probably wait for a bit. Right. So that brings up the proactive approach again. So decide all these therapies and issues before you go into Ramadan. And the uh, last non-insulin class I want to discuss are the SGLT2 inhibitors uh, emerging yeah. as very commonly used agents now because yeah. of their 
cardiorenal benefits, but you know these are also diuretic-like agents, mm -hmm. and uh, patients are not eating or drinking for yeah. much of the day. So how mm -hmm. can we address the concern about that with SGLT2 inhibitors? That's a very important question. Again, wonderful therapies with great evidence and easy to use or oral. I would say, again, simply, I'll go from what's simple advice to a little bit more complicated personalized advice is I probably wouldn't start it right off the bat because the risk of orthostasis and dehydration, which is still not that huge if you look at the clinical trials, but I probably still wouldn't start for the practical aspect. If they're on it, they're tolerating it, I'll probably carry on. However, that being said, if they run into troubles with orthostasis or dehydration, then I would recommend stopping it. If they have any necessitates uh, sick day management, they should also be held at the time of during their uh, fasting uh, period. So uh, for the most part, most people are fine. I would carry on and watch out for the dehydration and orthostasis. Uh, especially important is you don't want to stop, again, these therapies if they have a strong indication, especially with uh, reduced ejection fraction heart failure being a big one that uh, it, it, things may get worse. So it's really important to balance the risk and the benefit. But overall, I would say most people can probably carry on with SGLT2 inhibitors. Probably a subset need to modify maybe the dose or hold it during these sick day periods. That's what I'm hearing is that for probably most patients, the, the benefits of continuing GLP-1s and SGLT2s probably outweigh the risk as long as we're prepared to uh, deal with potential uh, issues. But I guess keeping well hydrated after that evening meal probably makes a lot yes. of sense on an SGLT2. Yes. So let's change gears and uh, get into insulin management. Many people with type 2 diabetes are managed on insulin, especially basal insulin, and obviously uh, there would be a concern about hypoglycemia if you're not uh, eating for much of the day. So can you comment on some issues around using basal insulin in such a situation? Sure. I, just, I think you made a very important comment. I just wanted to step back to the SGLT inhibitors. If there's during at dawn time, I think we should really instruct our patients or advise them to have a lot of hydration, to drink a lot of fluids, even pre-fasting, just so they're volume repleted like we do for sick patients in the hospital and also at dusk to make sure they stay they have an adequate adequate volume intake it's just preloading them basically with uh, fluids which have uh, which prevents future problems so getting into our insulin therapies basal insulin again it'd be nice to see what the overall control is what their experience was in the past but for most people you know i would practically recommend there should be some sort of reduction in their basal rates i would say you know, I would treat this as maybe a pre-op sort of, what do we do pre-operatively for these long-acting basal analogs, right? Where they're going to be fasting during the day for a bit, whether it's a total replacement or some kind of other orthopedic surgery. I would say probably cut back on their basal by 20 to 30% and then watch them. And again, as long as they're monitoring, and especially with people who are using, you know, continuous uh, intermittent uh, glucose monitoring, it'll we'll get some patterns. If they're running into highs or lows, it can be modified thereafter based on the targets you want for their, uh, uh, based on their uh, targets uh, relevant to basal insulin. So some kind of reduction in basal insulin, I probably would definitely not hold insulin, but some kind of reduction would be would make common sense. And that's in keeping with the guidelines. Yeah, I like that practical tip of cutting back on the dose. So with basals, we have NPH, we have first generation uh, basal analogs, and a lot of us have kind of shifted to the second generation basal analogs because of the lower risk of hypoglycemia. So uh, maybe you can give some tips about how we could choose the basal insulin, if you know somebody's coming up to Ramadan. Yeah, yeah so... I wouldn't change the type of insulin if someone's uh, walking into Ramadan, but de novo, if we were to pick a basal insulin, I agree, I would choose one of the 
later generation basal insulins, either Deglodec or uh, Glargine 300 or Glargine 100. We're using a lot less Detamir right now, but that's a reasonable option if someone's already on it. Probably would avoid NPH uh, because of the higher risk of hypoglycemia. And we don't have Ultralante anymore, so that's uh, not uh, an issue anyway. So that'll be my recommendation with basal insulin stuff. So to start, and if it's going to be a de novo start, the goal is the geriatric principle. We don't want to cure their hyperglycemia within a day or two. You know, I keep it simple. I know there's lots of formulas, 0.1 to 0 0.2 units per kilogram per day to start a basal. But let's get people on insulin if they need it. I would suggest 8 to 10 units at bedtime to start off with and titrate after that, looking for hypo and hyperglycemia. With frequent monitoring early on and in tapering off, as you see that things are safe during the Ramadan period. You have 28 days to fast. So if we can tease things out in the first three or four days, we're already doing a probation period. I look at it as a new job, right? You have time to see what the long-term outcome is, which is the 28 days. Okay, well, that's great, Dr. Prabhtani. Our time has kind of come to an end, but I think we've uh, covered a lot of the issues around uh, managing type 2 diabetes in Ramadan. I think some of the key learnings are you need to be proactive and uh, assess patients well in advance of the month of fasting and determine who is at greater risk. Uh, look at their therapies and uh, try to minimize the risks of hypoglycemia, especially with sulfonylureas and the various uh, insulin regimens. Focus uh, on keeping well hydrated if you're on an SGLT2 inhibitor and be careful about GI side effects with things like metformin and uh, GLP-1 receptor agonists. Uh, so thank you, Dr. Prabhtani, for joining us. And thanks to all our listeners for uh, joining us in the Diving Into Diabetes podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the topic of diabetes in Ramadan. And please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. And stay tuned for new releases.